Our gracious Father, we thank you that your word will never fade. We thank you that your promises stand, that they are true, and that we can build our lives upon what you say. So please help us now as we come before your scriptures. Help us to come with humble hearts. Help us to be those who are eager to put into practice all that you say. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we live in a world where words matter. Uh, Back in 1899 in Denver, in the States, four journalists happened to meet, uh, quite by chance, at a local railway station. Uh, Each of them worked for a different paper in Denver. And in those days, the station was where you got your news. So they were there trying to find a story one Saturday night for the morning paper. And after a fairly unproductive evening, uh, they hit upon an idea. They decided they would make up a story and each of them would write a slightly different version of this story for their paper. It would need to be about somewhere far away from Denver so that no one could check up on it. And uh, one of them had a great idea of what the story could be. Uh, They put it together that a group of uh, American engineers was on their way to to China to pull down the Great Wall of China um, as a sign by the Chinese government of uh, goodwill towards other nations and to open up foreign trade. And so they were quite chuffed with this story. They each wrote up their own slightly different version of this story. And uh, the next day, that story went to press. The next week, it was picked up by the national papers in America. And over time, it was picked up by the international press. And the story ended up finding its way to China. And so the people of China discovered that there was a group of Americans on their way to pull down the Great Wall. And as you can imagine, many Chinese were incensed by this. And that the result of this story was that a number of embassies were attacked in Peking. Uh, Dozens of Christian missionaries were killed. An international army of 12,000 troops was sent in to try and invade parts of China to protect other people there. And many, many lives were lost. That The bloodshed escalated in what we now know as the Boxer Rebellion. Many lives lost and it all began with a lie. We live in a world where words matter. Uh, we know that, we sense that and it shouldn't surprise us. Uh, We live in a world that was created by words. God created this world by speaking. That God is a speaking God is central to who he is. He works through his words. And therefore words matter. God's words matter. Through them he produces great things. But our words matter too. And yet so often our words cause destruction, cause hurt and heartache. Uh, That story of the Boxer Rebellion is just an extreme example of of something that is very common, of our words causing damage. Abraham Lincoln once said, I would rather remain silent and be thought a fool than speak up and remove all doubt. Uh, Very often our words show us up in a bad light. Well, if you've been following the last few weeks, you will know that James is concerned that his readers live wholehearted lives for Christ. That they show their belief in the way that they live. 
And so a good motto verse for the whole letter is back in chapter 1. Turn back to James chapter 1 and verse 22. And we get to the heart of what James is really wanting to do for his readers. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James says it's not enough to hear God's word. We need to take it into our hearts and to do it. To let it impact us, to let it change us. And it wasn't going to be long before James told us that we would have to come to terms with our speech. And so verse 26 of chapter 1, James says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If our speech is uncontrolled, James says, our religion is worthless. It is as stark as that. If we have no control over what we say, James says we're not converted. No, we live in a world where words matter. Uh, that is the case for everyone, but it's something Christians especially should be aware of. And so James starts our passage with a warning. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 3. James says to us, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, James gives us this warning. I don't know how you view those who teach the Bible, those who are pastors. Uh, In some cultures, the pastor is highly revered, someone of great position and authority. Um, I'm looking for those cultures. That's where I want to end up working, I think. And in a worldly sense, it can be a very attractive thing to do, to be a pastor. You have a lot of people who listen to you. Everybody knows who you are. You have influence. And yet James would warn us before we go too quickly into doing that. James says it's a terrifying responsibility to have. We who teach, he says, will be judged with greater strictness. And speaking for myself, I know that's a truth that does keep me up in the middle of the night at times, and should do. Because so much depends on our time. And we are entrusting a huge amount to what is a very, very fickle thing. James continues in verse 2 by saying, We all stumble in many ways. And I'm sure if we did a survey tonight, we would find that we all stumble in very different ways to each other. But we all struggle with the tongue. James says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. No, we all struggle with the tongue, and therefore the teacher of God's word has a hard job. Um, I used to be, when I was younger, very, very nervous of standing up in front of other people. I was very nervous about what people would think, or if I'd look silly, or, or any of those things. I guess I've just got used to it now, but what makes me nervous now is that I have to speak God's words to you. And the potential for damage is enormous. The potential for deceiving you, for deceiving myself, is enormous. So please do pray for those who teach you here at SMAC. Pray especially for Andrew. Pray for the others who preach. Maybe pray for the people who lead the cell groups. Pray for all of those who teach God's word. Well, James has begun this way because 
what is a particular issue for teachers is a big issue for everyone in general. Now James wants all of us to realise how dangerous our tongues are. And so most of this chapter is taken up giving us an analysis of our tongue. Uh, James, if you like, puts on his doctor's costume, invites us to sit in his waiting room and to each one of us, he comes up to us and says, open your mouth, stick out your tongue and say, ah. And he's giving us each an examination of our tongue. And the results are not good. They are not good at all. And so our first lesson this evening is that our tongue is a problem. Our problem is our tongue. James examines our tongue and he begins to list out the results of his examination. The first thing to say is that our tongues are powerful. And James gives us two examples uh, that are like the tongue, one of horses and one of boats. So verse 3 he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Uh, Now I need to confess to you that I hate horses. And uh, as far as I know, it's mutual. Um, A couple of times I've been horse riding, it's been unpleasant for me and very unpleasant for the horse as well. Um, I'm not really interested in horses, but I do know that just a small piece of metal can control even a very powerful horse. But boats are far more interesting. So let's look at verse 4. James says, Look at ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Uh, One of the biggest warships in the world is the aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. Uh, It weighs over 91,000 tonnes. It is over um, nearly 1,100 feet long. It is powered by a a nuclear-powered engine that has a horsepower of 280,000. It is crewed by over 6,000 men and women and carries nearly a hundred aircraft. In other words, this thing is huge. And yet the USS Eisenhower is controlled by a rudder that is just a thousandth of the size of the boat. Something so small controlling something so large. And James says it's the same with our tongue. Our tongue is small, but it's very, very powerful. I'm told our tongue weighs less than half a percent of our body weight. Um, I've not found a painless way of confirming that fact, so we'll just assume it's true. But it has massive power. It can boast of great power, verse 5. Our tongue can steer our whole lives. And whilst that might be promising in theory, James says it's horrific in practice because these tongues come in the mouths of sinners. And so whilst our tongues are powerful, the second thing James tells us is that our tongues are destructive. Our tongues are destructive. So verse 5 he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It hardly takes anything to start a huge forest fire. Just one spark. Just one person dropping a cigarette. And a whole forest can go up in flames. Huge amounts of destruction caused by something so small. And James says the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness, verse 6. 
It is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and itself set on fire by hell. It's very bleak. James says our tongues are destructive. They're a world of unrighteousness. That is, they are a whole universe of sin in themselves. Uh, The great theologian John Calvin once said that this slender portion of flesh contains a whole world of iniquity. It blazes away. And as it does so, it affects all of life. It stains the whole of life and blazes away from the cradle to the grave all the time, causing its destruction. Uh, This is one muscle that gets a full and thorough workout. And James says, all the time, there it is, we're setting off sparks, all the time. They're constantly flying. That little bit of innuendo, that harsh criticism in the heat of the moment, that tiny morsel of gossip, that lie, that exaggeration, it all seems harmless enough at the time, but they are sparks that start enormous fires. Verse 8, James says, It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And the image there is of a very dangerous weapon. Our tongues are lethal. And so the UN weapons weapons inspector doesn't have to spend time with us really to see that we each have a weapon of mass destruction in our mouths. Our tongues are so destructive. And I guess the question then is raised in our minds, well, what can we do about it? What can we do? And James says, well, nothing actually. Because the next thing to tell us is that our tongues are uncontrollable. Verse 7. And to show us this, James takes us on a little field trip. Uh, He gets us all in a minibus. He drives us across town to the nearby theme park to see some of the animals. And uh, he gets us out of the bus and we go and we see the elephants playing football. Uh, We see dolphins in the pool sort of juggling, dancing around and playing games. We see parrots doing karaoke for us. It's amazing what we can do with animals. So James says in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. It's amazing what we can get animals to do. But James says in verse 8, No human being can tame the tongue. It is not within our human capabilities to control our tongues. It may well be that you are someone who is, is very successful in what you do. Maybe you are very successful at work. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person who fixes things by nature. A kind of troubleshooter. Someone who swoops in, sees the mess, tidies it up and sorts it all out. You might be very able in all kinds of ways, but God's word to you tonight is that you cannot control your tongue. This is not something we can sort out. James isn't trying to write a Christian handbook on how to control your speech. No, our tongues are uncontrollable. And finally, in his analysis, he says our tongues are revealing. Our tongues are revealing. Jesus once said, Out of the overflow of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. Our tongue, if you like, is a spiritual thermometer. It shows us what is going on in our hearts. And in the case of those who call themselves Christians, the tongue can show us what we're really like. So verse 9, James says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. The tongue shows what we are really like. Yes, we can praise God with our tongues. The best thing we can do with our tongue is to bless and praise God. And yet the very same tongue can then curse someone who's made in God's image, one of his children. And James tells us this must not be the case. Verse 10 he says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So he continues in verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Well, no, it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? No, of course not. You want olives, you don't go to a fig tree. You want figs, you don't go to a grapevine. Neither, he says, can a salt pond yield fresh water. We pause for a moment to listen to the bell and consider the point. I always forget to count how many times it is. Does anyone ever count it? Anyone? Fourteen. The six o'clock chimes fourteen times. No, James says these things are not so, verses 11 and 12. And the point he's making is this. Can a Christian heart produce such kind of cursing? Can a Christian heart lead to this kind of speech? And the answer is no. No, it can't. And it might be that some of us are thinking tonight, well, I know I've got problems with my tongue, but it's, it's just the way I am. I'm just the kind of person who always speaks their mind. It's just me to do that. Yeah, I know I gossip, but it's what I do. It's what people look to me for. Yeah, I know I'm a bit, a bit inappropriate with my flirting or with my banter or with my humour, but that's just me. Well, James's response, if we're thinking that way, is, I'm sorry, but please don't call yourself a Christian then. Please don't take confidence in the fact that you can say, bless the Lord, if that is what is coming out of your mouth as well. No, the tongue is revealing. It shows what our hearts are really like, and we need to come to terms with that. We can't just hope that somehow our good speech cancels out our bad speech. It doesn't work that way at all. And so we might think, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to shut up and never speak again. You might be tempted to think that tonight, mightn't we? But we won't, and we can't. We cannot tame our tongue. We can't just switch it off either. Well, James has finished his analysis of the tongue. And let me just say again, sir, that it's absolutely clear the moral of this, the application of this, is not to try harder. 
James does not want us tonight to think, right, I really must control my tongue. I must sort out my speech. No, the very point James is making is that we can't. And so the heading we've got in our Bibles for this passage should really be not taming the tongue. It is a passage about how we can't do that. No one can. No human can. And that last phrase is the clue to the way out of this problem. No human being, James says, can tame the tongue. But God can help us. And so we come to our second point. Our need is true wisdom. If our problem is the tongue, our need is true wisdom. James kicks us off with a question in verse 13. Have a look at this question. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? It's worth pausing on that question, isn't it? Who is wise and understanding among us? Just take a moment to have a look around these other nice people here at Smack 2 tonight. And as you look around, ask the question, Who's wise here? Who's got understanding here? It'd be interesting to do a survey, wouldn't it? Maybe use our response cards to write down the name of the person we think is the wisest tonight. If Andrew was to announce this evening, I don't think he's going to, but if Andrew was to announce tonight that he's resigning from Smack and you needed to appoint a new leader, what kind of person would you look for? Who's the wise one? Who's got understanding? And we might think, well, that person over there is pretty wise, they're a good preacher. Or this person is always saying great things in our cell group. Or that one over there, well they know New Testament Greek. But the problem is, all of those answers are based on the tongue. And if that's where our thinking is going, if that's how we try and assess whether someone is wise or not, well we need to reread the first half of James 3. That is not where we look for wisdom. Clever speech someone who can say a lot about the Bible is not where we look for wisdom now let James answer his own question in verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom it is the nature of true wisdom that it is seen in humble behaviour it is something we show by our meekness our humility and the reason James says that is that every wrong form of speech is an expression of pride our wrong speech is because we are proud when you gossip who are you to gossip about that other person when you lie who are you to decide that lying is right in that situation No, our wrong speech comes from pride and therefore the answer is for our hearts to be humbled. To remember Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The solution to the tongue is to humble the heart. For us to be humbled. We see the contrast in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. James says, if that's what you like, you've got absolutely nothing to boast about. You might think you're very Christian, but you're not. Nothing to boast in at all. In fact, you deny the truth. You're false to the truth. Because the truth shows us we are nothing without Jesus Christ. 
the truth should humble us. And selfish ambition is a sign of pride. No true wisdom is seen in humble behaviour. In which case we then ask, where do I get it from? Which book do I need to read? Where's the course that I go on for true wisdom? Well, James says, true wisdom comes from heaven. It's nothing we've thought up here on earth. You see, the wisdom of the world is proud. James says in verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, our earthly wisdom shows itself to be demonic because it puts us against each other. It is proud. It is quarrelsome. True wisdom, James says, comes down from above. So we have two kinds of wisdom. Human wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Demonic wisdom and divine wisdom. And true wisdom only comes from above. It can only come from God. Because only God can deal with us and show us what we're really like. So that reading from Proverbs earlier says this, The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If the source is God, then we need to ask him for it. We need to pray for it. So as James has already said in chapter 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. It's a reminder, isn't it, that whenever we open our Bibles, we need to pray for wisdom and understanding of what God is saying to us. It is a work of God to give us wisdom. It is a work of God to humble us, to show us what we're really like. Well, if that's the case, what is the fruit of this true wisdom as we finish? Well, look at verse 17. Uh, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This wisdom shows itself. It's pure and therefore it's peaceable. It leads to harmony between brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately it leads to a harvest of righteousness, verse 18. I think what James means by that um, is firstly that we show righteousness in our own lives. As God humbles us, as we receive true understanding and wisdom from him, it will begin, begin to transform us. His word will change us, producing in us righteous acts, good deeds, peaceableness, mercy, impartiality if our hearts are humbled we will learn not to lie not to gossip not to slander not to crush people but I think it also means this harvest of righteousness that we will impact other people because if we live this way it will be a very attractive thing for those looking on at us It will lead others to see the source of this wisdom. 
and may well be the thing that clinches people coming to Christ. A harvest of righteousness is the fruit of true wisdom. Uh, God's will is not that we're silent, but that we're sanctified. Not that we're muted, but that we're changed. And as we're changed, we can then begin to use our tongues for good, as God would have us do. And a different kind of speech will result. Uh, You may remember in Acts chapter 2, a different kind of fire touched God's people. We have in James 3 a fire from hell which sets the tongue ablaze but in Acts chapter 2 a fire comes down from heaven and touches the people of God and a different kind of speech results and God's people start to praise him before others. They start to declare his words and his works to the whole world and that is the speech that can produce a harvest of righteousness as God humbles our hearts and opens our mouths to declare his praise let's pray as we finish our father we pray you would help us to take to heart these words from James 3 would we recognise ourselves in this portrait would we be aware of how destructive our tongues can be and Father we pray that you would humble us may your words change us give us a true view of ourselves would we boast and rejoice in the fact that we are nothing without Jesus Christ and would the wisdom of knowing that change us Make us peaceable and not quarrelsome. And we pray that a harvest of righteousness might result, that you might be praised. In Jesus' name.